Hey everybody, it's Rajesh here. And Tane here. Welcome to our podcast, Baskets of Knowledge, Chats with a Difference. In our podcast, we invite guests from around the country and around the world to talk about how they got to where they are at the moment. It's about a journey, it's about an experience, it's about their life. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Past of Knowledge. And as you know, I don't know what episode number we're on, so I'm not going to tell you what the episode number is because I keep forgetting. But um, we love having you on, we love you on this journey here. And as we reflect about this week and the last week, as we did the last podcast, one of the key things that I was thinking about, and um, I just had a podcast just before we jumped on, is the importance of realizing that every step we make in life is our first step. So everything that we do, you know, we hear all these quotes like oh, the first step is the hardest step. But if I think about it, every single step is a first step that we do, whether it's going to university, whether it's your study, whether it's relationship, whether it's getting up in the morning, it is the first step every day. And that got me thinking because a lot of times we think about the first step trying to get to a goal. But if we reframe and go first step is just get first step there, it's going to make life so much easier for us. Um, yeah, so we don't have to look back at where we've come from. That can be later on. Just think about that first step in front of us. And with that in mind, um, our first step for today is to say that Tane is not going to be joining us today because he's away playing rugby league at Omaru, um, which is fantastic because that's his passion. So it's just you, the listener, me, the podcast host, and our fantastic guest who I'm going to introduce in a second. Um, as you know, um, Tane and myself scour the country and scour the world to find people that we think were amazing. And as I always say, we think everyone is amazing out there and we wish we could interview everybody. But if we did that, I'd have no job and I need some money. So we're not going to do that there. But today, I'm very, very lucky and very privileged to invite Quentin onto our podcast. Um, I've been a fan of Quentin's work over the last few years, and you'll see why as we have this conversation. Welcome to Boss Knowledge, Quentin. Uh, kia ora. Thanks for having me on. I'm very excited to be here and chat for 45 minutes or however long we're going to be going for. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Quentin. Um, before we get started, Quentin, do you want to tell our guests about a little bit about who you are at this point in time in your life and what are you doing? Um, so yeah, I'm Quinton. I'm 22. I had to think about that one for a second. It's very easy to forget when you get busy which birthday number you're up to. Uh, born and raised in Christchurch, moved up to Rangiora, just north of Christchurch when I was nine. Uh, so just before the Christchurch earthquakes, we got quite lucky actually. We were out there for not even 12 months and then grew up out there, went to Rangiora High School before moving down to Dunedin for university. So I've been down in Dunedin for coming up on five years now. Um, I started in health science, hated it, and then went and studied politics and chemistry. And I did a minor in math, bounced around the orders of those, um, graduated in December last year with politics and chemistry as the majors. And now I'm the president at OUSA, the Otago University Students Association. And it's the best job in the world. Couldn't ask to be doing anything better than this. Beautiful, beautiful. What, what, I love that. I love the intro because there's so much we can go into in the intro. Quentin, I met you in year 13 all those years ago. And if I said to you, Quentin, <laughs> at Rangira High School, when you said to me, hey, Prajesh, I'm doing health first year, and I said to you, hey, Quentin, my crystal ball says to me that you're going to be doing a BA when you finish that. What would you have said to me at that point in time? I, I would have laughed at you. I had been adamant since watching House, actually, the House MD. I watched that and went, I'm going to become a doctor and had been adamant on that since I gave up on programming in year 11. Never thought I'd do a BA. Never thought I'd go down politics. I did you know, all science, all the sciences, English, math, and music. I was set right down to go and become a doctor. And then you must have been able to read between the lines, I think, if you were going to say that to me, because I certainly didn't see it coming. 
Yeah, it's really crazy because I, I like to ask that question because, you know, a lot of times when we go into schools and speak to young people, we have aspirations which we all need to have and, 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 and hold. But a lot of us hold those aspirations as our identity. And I listened to a podcast yesterday where um, the professor was talking about how we're so tied to an identity that, we, that the identity is what we do as opposed to who we are. And, you know, as a year 13, not just you, but any other year 13 that's going to go to university, say they're doing health at first year or a BCom or a BA, that is the identity that they have at that point in time because of the culture scape they live in. So it is really hard for us to go, hey, actually, who is this random person telling me that might happen? Right? It's so crazy. So, you know, and Quentin, and I guess in your role over the last five or so years, you would have come across lots of people where the identity is defined by what they do as opposed to who they are. That would have been interesting for you, especially in the field of politics, studying politics, because we see that all the time. Yeah, no, it is really interesting. And I think on the politics one is the biggie. It's even in this role, I have I often have to sit and reflect on what are the things that I'm focusing on and why am I doing that? Is it is it for me? Is it a values-based thing? Or am I just kind of looking at what opportunities are there at the moment? And so I really kind of reflecting on why I was in health science and what I wanted to do and where I've got to now, I had to kind of reflect on what is why am I at university? in the first place am I just here because I want to be a doctor and go and you know say that I'm a doctor tell everyone I'm a doctor and have that lovely bit at the end of my name where I can put MD in my email signature or am I doing that because that's truly what I want to do and I think it was when I reflected on that that I went actually I'm not trying to become a doctor for the right reasons I've told myself that's what I need to do and that was quite a journey quite a difficult one um, but I'm really glad that I went through that and ended up here and, and that's awesome. And I, and I love that because, you know, when you first said at the start, you said you did health side first year and you hated it. But as you did the reflection right now, it wasn't about the hate. It was just, it there was a mismatch. It, mm, a it mismatch. just wasn't right. I liked yeah. bits of it. I liked the chemistry paper and I liked the physics paper. I was just terrible at anatomy and hated memorizing all the names of the parts of the human body. And so that yeah. was, you know, it was it was good actually coming here and getting to try that and going, no, that's not what I want to do. And being able to kind of reflect on that and change. And I did it early enough that it didn't affect how long I was going to be here. But just being able to go, that's not right. That's not for me. That's not what I want to do. Was was definitely a process convincing myself of that because I'd had three years of saying I have to do this to become a doctor no matter how hard it is. And then within six weeks going, no, that's not quite right. was quite a, quite a mind bend. But Yeah, and it's crazy. And here you are right now. And let's let's step back a little bit. Let's talk about let's talk about your shift. So growing up in Christchurch, living in Christchurch, then moving out to Rangiora. For our listeners out there who don't really know New Zealand very well, um, Rangiora is about twenty to oh, about twenty minutes away from Christchurch, depending on the motorway. What is that like for you from going, especially since especially because very soon after your home, which is Christchurch, got hit by the earthquake? What is that like for you as a family and as a young person? I mean, we were really lucky on the earthquake front because we had moved out just before, you know, a year before we'd moved into a bigger house. We moved in, my grandparents moved in and lived with us too. So there's, there was, how many of us? Seven of us living in the house normally as it was. Um, and so that was all right. It was big. And it meant that when the earthquake did happen, we had pretty much all my extended family who were in Christchurch come out and live with us. So there was 17 people living in the house at, at one oh, point, wow. which was was quite for long. But I mean, I was I was 10 years old, so I didn't mind. It was just nice having all these people there to talk to um, and play games with. It was great. But it was, I think the hard part was moving schools. I moved smack bang in the middle of primary school, end of year four, I changed schools. And that was definitely difficult because I went from a bigger school of 650 down to one of 
220 or something so really went down there was only 15 odd people in my year group not saying they were odd it's just that I can't remember the number um and moving down to that where they all really knew each other already was really tight-knit was was a bit stressful but you know I think it ended up working out in the end which is always good and Nungyorda yeah. was just such a different place anyway much smaller we were semi-rural it's a, you know it would take me half an hour to bike to high school so moving from being in walking distance of everything to not was certainly a learning curve and I guess as you go back now it's changed quite dramatically it's now become a bit of a hub oh it's changed you know I don't go back as often as I'd like to but it has really expanded it is not far from our place anymore to actually being in the suburbs where it used to be quite a bit further it's grown and it's it's a different place the the kind of key elements of the places that I I would go in my old work and whatnot are still there but everything else is very different it's all newer bigger busier and isn't that isn't that crazy isn't that a testament of of, of human nature that was only not even 10 years ago and the growth it's just so crazy. And if we extrapolate that to the world, you know, the world has changed dramatically in the last 10 years or last five years. As you think about, you know, climate change, sustainability, all those, all those crazy things that are happening, it's happening on our doorstep as we see things that are just expanding and growing dramatically and exponentially. Yeah, no, it's just going home is always so different. And I kind of, I don't reflect on it. Going into Christchurch as well is is you know, what's happened to Rangiona, but on an even bigger scale, because it's actually come back to life now. And when part of the reason that I moved down to Dunedin was because when you grow up in Christchurch, just after the earthquakes, there wasn't a whole lot to do. A lot of car parks to go loitering, but that seemed to be about it. And so when I go back and there's all these vibrant food places and activities to do, it's I'm a bit jealous in a way. It would have been nice to have that when I was there, but it's really nice to be able to go back and experience it all now. Yeah, it's a pretty um, vibrant city, which is which is great, you know. And I still remember the tagline um, after the earthquakes. It's quite crazy, you know. From disaster, sometimes there's some cool things that happen. And you know, in this case here, the youngest city in the whole, the freshest or the newest city in the whole wide world is being built. Or you know, it was pretty cool. Mm. They've done some pretty cool things. Some pretty cool things. Some questionable things. But hey, that's that's the way the world. The way the world. <laughs> you got to learn right. somehow. Exactly. Exactly. Got to learn somehow. Talking about learning, the Clinton. So you um you leave home, you arrive in in a new place. And what is that like for you coming to a new place as a young person, especially, you know, as you said before, you have a, a close family unit there. Um, you not leave your whole family unit behind. You come to a brand new city with all these new faces. What is that like for young Quentin, if you can remember that? My, my journey down to Dunedin was an interesting one, actually, because we left, left home the Friday night before you move into the halls. Um, after mum had finished work and we were driving down I was actually in quite a nasty car accident on the drive down here <laughs> someone was overtaking oh. as you come around a blind corner and just drive straight into the front of you so so I arrived in Dunedin by helicopter which was interesting um, I was all right but it was more you know more more shaken up mentally than, than I was physically yeah. and so I went through a week with a broken collarbone and thank just a lot of nasty bruises but um, just not quite in the headspace that I planned on being when I came down which was an interesting one. And I'd been driving with my mum and she was in a bit of a, she wasn't quite as well off as me. Uh, she was she was still all right. I think she broke a few ribs and things, but it was still definitely not not the journey down to Dunedin that we'd planned. And so that definitely shook it up a bit, kind of just trying to balance yourself here, get used to the whole move, but with dealing with all that at the same time. So it was it was it was difficult coming down. I was fortunate that I had quite a large cohort from high school come down that same year so 
you know, there was a dozen of us down here. So at least there were a few familiar faces, three or four of us at my hall. So that was quite nice just being able to have some have some people to fall back on and familiar faces, not in it completely afresh. Um, but yeah, certainly an interesting journey down. Yeah, and and that's and you know, um, I thank you for sharing that there. And I think, you know, it's it's it just shows you all the different journeys. You know, you have this expectation and you build the story in your mind of what it's gonna be like, and then life goes boom going to change things up for you and for you as a young person trying to navigate what's happened this traumatic event that's happened plus this other traumatic awesomeness that's happening in terms of the new world of a week but your mind like you said was on the right headspace because you're like what do i what do i do here it must have been a pretty pretty interesting time for you as a young i mean using the word interesting as a young person navigating man is my mom gonna be okay am i okay this is crazy and everyone else is having a great time because you know a week yeah, no, it was it was really odd. Like I'd bought the I'd bought the pass to go to all the O week events, and I went to one of them. A week later, I got sick of holing up in my room at night while hearing all my friends go out and have a bit of fun. So I did go to one, and they kind of I I went to twenty minutes of toga as well. Actually, I don't count that one, but I went to the first twenty minutes, and I had all my friends form kind of a wall around me so they wouldn't get jostled on the way and through the crowd into Forsyth Bar. But then I decided that sort of the crowd is probably still not the one that's suitable if you have a very freshly broken and collarbone um so it was it was yeah interesting to try and reconcile that and just find my way around the hall unpacking your room with one arm takes twice as long as you probably hope that you, unpacking your room would but i guess when you don't have evenings evening plans anymore that wasn't too bad <laughs> yeah so it could be a blessing in disguise eh? you know silver lining in some places exactly yeah uh, so you said um six weeks into the health adversity program you change your pro you change you started to change why politics and why why did you why did you shift to what you wanted to shift to i agonized over what to shift to for a really long time but i i did i'd been doing health science and it was all right and then i got my first test grades back they weren't as good as i'd hoped and i kind of had to reflect on that and go if i'm really serious about this and want to become a doctor i have to 100% commit myself to it and i didn't want to 100% commit myself to it because i wasn't enjoying it and so that was that was a really big piece of reflection was why would I commit myself to that when there's something more fun that I could do and so the politics was was honestly because I came down for the open day and I sat in on an open politics lecture um, and I just found it really interesting it was Robert Patman talking about the United Nations um, I never actually ended up taking the paper that I sat in, sat in on the lecture for because I I switched in, in the second semester and that was a first semester paper but it was still I sat in on that and found it fascinating and it had also got really into the 2017 election um, before that my English teacher and I used to rather than me doing my English work we would just discuss politics for an hour um, and so kind of putting all that together I went I might enroll in this and see if I enjoy it and then that second semester when I actually started doing those papers that I really enjoyed it was like okay this is the right fit this is for me this is what I should have been doing all along and so I was really glad that I'd been to that open lecture because that was the one that kind of made me go, it's okay to swap into politics. There are a lot of people in that lecture. This is a normal thing to do. I, I love that for so many reasons. And the main reason is the fact that when you came to Open Day, you went to Open Lecture. <laughs> well, had, it had an if, interesting title. That was the only thing. I had a gap between viewing halls. And so I went, this has an interesting title, and went and sat in the back and watched two people play on their phones and chat the whole time instead of talk. And I loved it. I sat there like this, more focused than I ever was in a lecture after that. <laughs> isn't, isn't that crazy? Imagine going to that talk, life would be very different. I mean, I'm sure you would have found your way there, but it would have been a different pathway to get into where you are right now. 
Um, so that's how, that's your first year. And let's talk about your journey now. So you said you did some you did some minors and stuff in you know maths and chemistry. So obviously you kept the science going as well. And how did that play out for you? And the reason I asked this question for you is because a lot of people think you've either got to be one or the other. You're either an arts person or a science person, and we both know that's not the case. How did you navigate that for you with your science brain and your and I guess your arts your arts brain? Doing the two at the same time was one of the best decisions I ever made because I could I could you know use that left side of my brain to focus on one then get sick of that and use the right side of my brain to focus on the other and so it's a really good study tactic taking them both because if you get sick of doing chemistry and writing a lab report and analyzing graphs I can go do politics and write an essay about something that makes me really mad and so that was just a nice way to break it up and I liked I liked kind of the I liked putting my politics to practice in in the science as well so I spent a lot of time with the maths and physics students association and the chemistry students association as well so bringing some of that kind of politics in there getting getting those groups together organizing that and that was a lot of fun but it was just I think yeah as I said before the best thing about doing them both was being able to use so many different skill sets at once it made doing science so much faster by doing politics because I could actually write and explain my things nice and concisely so rather than just restating the same thing over and over in multiple different ways I could write this really nice condensed lab report and get good at writing them in two days but I don't recommend that <laughs> to anyone else um, so just kind of being able to take those skills to the other one, because then the same thing happened in politics, I could analyze something with the science brain, that kind of methodical cause and effect, robust defending of your answers. They were things that I'd picked up and was practicing all the time and were really helpful to kind of come at things in two different directions. I love that there's two great tips there for those of you out there that are not, not yet at university is do two very different things. But also for those of you that are in the adult world, like myself, keep your science brain alive and keep your, your arts side alive because they both complement each other really, really well. Because we live in this world where, sadly, people are defined by boxes. You do all these crazy tests and therefore you're X, Y, Z. But, you know, humans are complicated creatures and compli complexly amazing. So um, I like the fact that you said right here, uh, you're a living example of, hey, the two things work really well. Um, and in all aspects of life, you know, that, that flows on. Something you mentioned in, this, in, in your answer there was you got involved with the associations with chemistry and with maths what made you get involved with that because um the reason i asked this question here is students associations are a big part of universities you know mm. around the world you know universities academic learning amazing but the real heartbeat of every any university is the student associations um which is very different to school very very different to school so how did you and what made you got you motivated to get involved in those associations was it the academic side of things or was it the hey i want to see some camaraderie and some growth in in those um disciplines it's actually a bit of both um so when i switched into politics i started doing some volunteering with a political group on campus and from that i met some people who were involved with ousa so i've ended up in kind of the sort of group that i'm in with now but right from day one at university and one of them ended up sitting on the OUSA executive so I ended up getting involved with OUSA through other things and talking to the academic rep there we both realized that there was no chemistry students association and this was something that was missing and I wanted one because they looked like a lot of fun from the groups that did have them and so they talked me into and then helped me through the process of setting that up 
And so we got the Chemistry Students Association up and running partway through my second year. So what's that, 2020? And so that was really cool and exciting. And it was just nice to have that social group that was there, um, having a bit of fun, making sure there were people in chemistry who the department could talk to if they needed kind of that student liaison between students and department. And then I got involved with the maths and physics one because in a math paper I was in, I became friends with the person who was the president at the time. And he went, hey, you look like you'd be good at this. And we have no one running at the AGM. You're doing this now. And kind of nominated me and made me run for it. And it was great. I loved them both. And there was once you got into them and you met all these really cool people who wanted the same things, wanted that kind of social element, wanted to bring everyone together to to just talk maths and physics, but not in a really kind of boring sense, but just and you shared these common interests and wanted to get together and talk about things going on in the department, but also just talk about life, but knowing that you share that same experience. And it was great. And I absolutely loved it. And they were the best things I've been involved with. Maths and physics students are surprisingly social, is what I will say. It breaks down the stereotypes, but you know, that, that association grew crazily in my time there and you had the massive turnouts at all the events. Everyone really wanted to be there and it was just a great time. Couldn't have picked a better group to be involved with. Um, beauty. Um, and it goes down to the whole thing about proximity is power. You were around the right people at the right time and that's just got you into these different spaces. And I love what you said about maths and physics students being social because I think the world basically says if you do maths and physics, you just don't enjoy being social. And then they put in this, the box again. We put in these crazy boxes here mm. saying that, hey, because you do maths and physics, you're a nerd, therefore you're not social, which is crazy. It's a surprisingly social discipline. I wouldn't have got through my minor in math without working together on assignments and breaking it down. And, you know, you, you could do it if you were a wizard or if you wanted to spend 24 hours a day doing math. But when you actually got together and worked on those, it was it was the only way to get through the paper. And you learned that really, really quickly. <laughs> that's that's awesome. And I guess this is going to this probably blows through well to the next question. So you're involved in these amazing associations. Was this the, and, and obviously you had a friend who was on OUSA exec as well, was this the start of you thinking that, hey, this OUSA presidential thing could be something you, you could do? And before we talk about that answer, do you want to explain to our listeners out there what OUSA actually is before we talk about your, your jump from not being a president to being a president, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. so I'll, I'll start with saying who OUSA is. So we yeah. are the representative body for all students on campus or by distance at the University of Otago. But essentially, if you're enrolled at the University of Otago, you are a member of OUSA. And we are here to advocate for your interests. And also we provide a whole bunch of kind of events and student support type things to, what's our mission statement? It's on my wall. Sorry, the vision is that every student at the University of Otago has their ultimate student experience. So that's wrapping it around with well-being, with advocacy, with um, student experience. We're here to kind of make sure that student life is good and advocate for your interests. And so, I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that because um, because a lot of people, like I said before, forget that the students are the heart of any university. You know, people mm. go, "Oh, academics," but actually, no students, no academics. Simple as that. Well, exactly. I think at the, you know, with course fees at the way they are too, they really need the students there to have those academics. But it is, and it's it's the vibrancy at the University of Otago campus was one of the key things that brought me down here, was coming down on the open day, seeing the people here, feeling that atmosphere. It was, it was the students that sold me on the university. 
beauty. And then so you you bept that job, you hear now you're involved in all these associations. Did someone shoulder tap you or did you go, hey, this is pretty cool? Because obviously your predecessor, Melissa, was doing her thing. Her time was up. And nominations come up. How did how did you decide that this was there's so many factors at play that brought me to this that it is hard to work out kind of where to begin um getting involved through those other channels right at the start and having you know knowing that person here starting those other clubs was a big part of it um i've actually thought about running for the academic representative role every year since the end of my second year and i did run for the clubs and societies role in my second year unsuccessfully i campaigned really terribly and that was a good learning curve <laughs> when i ran this time but then as well i've done a bit of student journalism over at radio one so i did a bit of radio journalism there and i ended up kind of being the de facto student politics and more general politics reporter, just because when that's the sort of thing that you're interested in, it's the sort of thing that you pick up on. Um, and so tying all that together, I'd spent so much time writing about student politics, complaining about student politics, having these own issues that I wanted, that when I was looking at the end of my degree, deciding what to do the next year, thinking about all the times I'd thought about running in the past, this came up before course enrollments did. And so I went, well, I'll run for it. And if I don't get it, then I'll enroll in postgrad next year. And I won. So that was kind of the thing that brought me here, was just always ending up on the peripheries of it. And then I kind of went, oh, I, you know, we'll see what happens jumping at the opportunity and it worked i love that um i'm going to go back just a little bit um about, about three or four weeks ago we had um candace clark on here who's the radio one dj and i want to ask you a question i asked you the question about why she was on radio one because she does some amazing stuff what again why radio one why did you even go into radio this wasn't something that was something you involved in before you came to university or was it something like hey this is pretty cool how did you get involved in that it wasn't something I was involved in and it was never something I thought I would be. It was going back to that political group that I was involved with. They used to have a member who did a Friday afternoon politics show with various others and they were sick one day and messaged and said, can you fill in? And I went, yeah, okay. I had nothing better to do at two o'clock on a Friday. So I went in and had a chat. I was really nervous and I think I spoke about three times in the whole two hour show, but it was fun. Um, and then afterwards, the program and promotions manager at the time said when do you want to come back for your training and I didn't know how to say no so I just went okay uh, here's my calendar and got into it and it was just great it was again one of those opportunities that just kind of was there and I didn't know how to say no and I decided not to and it was then one of the best things I did. You know what I love about this Quentin I love the fact that every single guest we've had on this podcast here has spoken about an opportunity that they never thought about like they never thought about it and someone asked them a question and they were in the right place at the right time but they said yes mm. oh said it's yes. saying yes was the best thing i none of the things that i did at university i ever have looked back on and gone oh, i wish i didn't do that yeah which is crazy right because you know we, we a lot of the times in our lives we live in a place where you know you question things and you go should i shouldn't i but you know as a young person when you're at university those opportunities are going to come and they're going to throw you in they're not going to be the best decision sometimes, but you are going to always learn. And that's, I guess that's life as well. So you go, you run for presidency, you you get elected. How did that feel for you? Because as you said before, the last time you tried to run, didn't work out for you. You learned your lesson. How did it feel when you're like, oh, actually, this is me? Did it feel daunting? Like, okay, because now you are the face of 21,000 young people. Um, essentially, that's what you are. You and your committee. Um, or you're like, hey, this is awesome. Bring it on. 
Um, bit of both. It was really exciting. And then kind of going home and cooking dinner that night, the reality started to set in when all the messages start coming in and you get emails going, when you can, can you come in and talk about this and get things ready? And you go, oh, this is getting busy already. And people that I didn't even know existed who, who were in various different roles at OUSA start reaching out. We need to have a time to meet. It's starting to feel very real very quickly when you're looking at it as this distant thing that begins in January and this was you know the first week of October and so it was yeah exciting at the time and I was definitely kind of at that lower level excited but on top there was a lot of anxiety going I have quite a big learning curve ahead of me on how to do this because I hadn't been on the executive before and you know I had a lot a lot of things to learn and a lot of things to pick up on yeah, and and I think that's 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 normal reaction, you know, and it's probably a good reaction to have as opposed to someone who goes in the arrogant going, boom, this is I deserve this, you know, having that that anxiety and having that never nervousness is probably a good thing, um, especially in, in such a role, and um, so you get on you get on to your, your October goes through you have your summer, and you step in as your role, what is that first day like for you when you were like a cool I'm not a student now. But I'm still part of this institute that has given me so much over the last five years, and now I have to do what, what, whatever happens next. I spent half of the first day trying to log into my email, which <laughs> really <laughs> the password was supposed to be updated and it hadn't, and so it kind of set a tone for this is this is a day or what ended up becoming this is a week of really just discovery of working out what am I doing, where do I even begin in this role? I had these goals that I campaigned on, and I get here and I'm going okay. This is, you know, second week of January. What am I doing? And so I spent a couple of days just going through all the filing cabinets and everything in the office, just kind of reading, trying to absorb as much as I could, work out what everything was, where everything was at, and just talking to different people around the association about the sorts of things I wanted to do, the sorts of things that I needed to do coming up. And then I'd just sit and watch my emails for a bit, just kind of taking in where I am, what I'm doing. And I'd sit and watch them come in and think about things. And someone would reach out for a meeting and I'd spend far too long preparing for that meeting. Nowadays, that's the kind of thing that you might spend 20 minutes beforehand wrapping your head around remembering where you're at. But I'd make notes two days in advance. And so it was really just trying to come to grips with what was a bit of an information overload, <laughs> um, getting my feet under the desk, you know, physically and metaphorically. I, I love that um, because, you know, we all go into these new jobs and new spaces and the first thing that doesn't work is your technology. You're like, yes, bring it on. Oh, I'll never log on to my computer. I can't do anything. Can't do anything. It's so, so crazy. Hey, it seems to be the way of the world. It doesn't matter where you are. It seems to be the way of the world. Um, I remember when I first started this job here, I couldn't log on, couldn't use couldn't use my computer, couldn't use anything. And I was like, spent three days just going, cool, I'm getting paid just to do nothing. This is so, so ridiculous. Yeah. So, so, so crazy. Um, I'm not going to shift focus a little bit. And um, this is going to be a talk. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, I'd love to talk about things that that you would have seen as your time as, a, as, as the president. And I guess these might be issues that you see across the country. Because one of the cool things before we started talking, you spoke about how you get to meet your the contemporaries from around, around the country. And as you know, the, we always have the saying that young people are not resilient, or young people are bliss, young, you know, this is how uh, dialogue or narrative around young people and as someone that is a young person and representing a large proportion of young people that come to an institute in New Zealand but also you talk to your contemporaries what do you think is the what do you think is the number one issue that young people are, are 
of pacing that that is that is that we don't really know about you know people talk about it but it's just brushed aside and from your position you go actually this is really important for us to talk about um do you mind sharing that um focusing on Dunedin in particular because I think it's the starkest yep. contrast but it's something that we do see everywhere is that the hardship that students are facing is just climbing and it's something that you know we've always known that student budgets are pretty tight that they they're not saving lots of money to go on a nice overseas holiday too often but it's really getting a lot worse in the last year or two you know, we've seen rents in Dunedin really strongly climbing. You've seen a lot of students who might have had some money or some things that they could fall back on pre-COVID, and that's just disappeared. And they are still working to try and build back on that. Or students who have taken on extra jobs to do that, but now just have absolutely no time and they're just running on fumes. You know, not much gas left in the tank, really on the verge of burning out, just trying to get through their degree to get to that next step. And so it's something that you kind of know, but I definitely think the levels that we're seeing have grown and that the extent to which we're seeing the hardship, you know, people are in, in some circumstances that I don't know. I, if, I don't know if I'd be resilient enough to still be studying in the positions that they're in and yet they're still here carrying along. It's it's admirable, but it's not something that I'd like to be seeing. Yeah, and and, and and that's really important because, you know, in my role, I get to see a lot of that as well because lots of people come and talk to you about the situations there. And as you said, there's some people out there that, you, that I'm like, how <laughs> at university you have this whole list of things happening in your world including you know lack of finances and you're still going to university and you still manage to smile and tell me to have a good day which is pretty crazy and i guess you know if you think about if we extrapolate out to say wellington or to auckland we're seeing the same thing in those cities there where the rents are getting crazy expensive as well um and again it's no fault for young people young people are always going to be around but i guess the fear now is are we going to get to a stage where it becomes so unaffordable the living that university actually becomes a um, you have your an elitist thing where only those that can afford to live at university can come to university, which is probably the total paradox of what universities should be. And it's it's a scary thought, and it's something that we've been having a lot of conversations about at that kind of national student representative level is what do we need to see? What do we want to do to kind of address this? Because I don't think anyone would tell you that universities should become elitist. They already have a bit of an air of snobbery around them. And the last thing that we want to do is actually kind of lean into that. It's such an important place for young people to be able to come if they want to. If you don't want to, don't. No one's ever going to you know tell you you have to and you shouldn't. But anyone who wants to should be able to. And that's a really key thing that I think everyone who I've talked to this year has agreed has agreed and wants to be able to address and there's so so many different things that feed into someone's ability to come to university but I think that we really need to focus on removing some of those structural barriers to make it accessible for people to come here because I've had such an amazing experience that it's something I would want everyone to be able to experience if they wanted to. Yeah and I like that because I like what you said um, university is not for everybody let's put it out there it's not for everybody and not everyone needs to go to university I mean that's 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 a given fact but I think what's important for you is what you said is those that do want to go to university are, are able to come to university. And um, like you said before, there's so many variables that come into play. And some of them, some of them you have to have. Some you have to have a bit a basic um, academic achievement. I mean, this is important. You know, universities are not easy academically. Um, they're not easy life-wise, but they're also not easy academically. So you have to have a basic academic level. I think that's that's fair enough. But then the other barriers shouldn't be um 
should be tried to be lowered down if, if possible. And thinking about what you just said right now, and thinking about the campaigns you, the goals you campaigned on, was there an alignment or is it like, well, wait a minute, actually what I thought versus what is, is, is changed. My focuses for the year have definitely not been quite as much of what I thought they would be as they were. One of them was something about clear COVID policy. And by the time I really got into the role, COVID was the second thing on everyone's mind. Everyone had had it at this point. They all got it when they first came down in, in O-Week and things last year. So then by the time it gets to this year, everyone's had it once or twice and they kind of moved on. The cases aren't the same extent. And I talked to the university and honestly, the plans that they had in place seemed pretty reasonable. So that one that one checked the box. Um, the big focus this year had been on making sure that our tertiary institutions were properly funded because that hit the news. And so that was one of the key drivers that we had to focus on, which was certainly not something I campaigned on and not something I thought I'd be focusing all my time and effort on. But we are still doing a focus in our general election campaign on those core student financial issues. So one of my key things that I'd really like to see would be the winter energy payment for students because we live in cold, crummy flats down here. And if you could at least try and heat it properly and not bankrupt yourself in the process, that would make such a massive difference. But also other things like improving the actual quality of the houses without hiking rents and and just trying to support students so that they're not borrowing to live and that they have a dignified income. These are all things that we're working on campaigning on at the moment. Um, but I, I hadn't put that in my, my manifesto because obviously OUSA is not going to be the only one that can change that. So when I campaigned, I campaigned on all these uni issues and and we do still focus on them, but just not to the same extent as I perhaps thought I would at the first time. And 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 that's, 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 that's great because, you know, um, we always think about politicians out there, you know, at the moment it's election time in New Zealand and, you know, everyone else goes out there having what their promises and blah 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 blah. but until you're actually in the office you go wait a minute there's a reason why some of these things can't be done because xyz and i'm sure as you know as you said before you were watching the 2017 elections and now you are a, you are in a presidential role and it's an election time here you've had one almost one year under the belt you must be looking at things from a very different perspective with both your politics background but also as your role as a president Oh, it's it's very different. And we've been quite lucky this year here to have got to engage with some very, you know, high profile political figures and put student issues on a stage, which I think last last election was such a COVID focused election that being able to really kind of have those conversations and make make the issues that students are worried about a bit more visible has been a really, really valuable opportunity. It is kind of crazy to feel, you know, to be doing this in an election year when these are things that people are focusing on. These are you know, there are people listening and talking to you and wanting to make a change about that and and being able to have those conversations is really valuable but also you know it, it keeps you busy <laughs> oh yeah I'm, I'm sure busy is a word that you use quite a bit in your in your life Quentin oh oh definitely but I mean busy is good I've always been a person that can't help but be busy so it's the right fit yeah beautiful um I want to ask you a question that's a little bit different. I want to talk about your your values, your values based, you know, you mentioned that at the start, that values are important for you. And as you step into this role where you are responsible for a lot of things, are there times when your values have, you have got to put your values aside because of the greater good? I'm using the word greater good because it might not be the greater good, but it might be the committee. And is it is it quite challenging or are you the kind of person that sticks to your values and goes, this is a value-based decision? because I think this is important, not just for me, but for other people as well. 
I think that there's always a time and a place where you sometimes have to reflect on your values and think about if this is if this is the time and the place for them. And that does come up. Part of my role is that I have to sit on the university council as well. And so there can be some very difficult decisions that you have to talk about there that may not always be, you know, your gut instinct that that would be the right thing for students, but you can understand that that might have to be the decision that's made. And it's a really horrible feeling. You come out of those sometimes and you you really, you know, you drive home with no music on and the windows down just because you're sitting there going, did I make the right decision and really agonize over that one? I still try and keep the values at play there. And I, I will stick to my guns where I where I can and when I have to and when I want to. But it's sometimes sometimes it can be reconciling, it can even be reconciling two sets of values is is a big is a big part of it there it's not that you know you're not sticking to your values but sometimes they just don't work and you have to really kind of play a trade-off and that's that's hard and that's definitely been a big learning curve in this role is that greater good picture too of you know this might be the right thing to do now but what impact is that going to have on OUSA or on students in the future and while it might be a good a good thing to do now it would actually have a much worse impact for them. And is that is that the decision that I want to make? And I've I've made some mistakes and I've learned from learned from that and had to do a lot of reflection. And it's yeah, it's been an interesting learning experience. I, I'd like to think I could stand by most of the decisions that I've made. I think I'd stand by all of them, um, even if they weren't the right decision. I'll stand by why I made it. <laughs> yeah, and I think and I love that because you know we all have values. Every one of us has values, which and we get tested on them. But the key thing that you mentioned a few times is you've 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 said you've made mistakes. Mistakes are part of life, and sometimes you know people they make a mistake, but they refuse to own their mistake and go and just blame other things. But you know you never we we are not built to get everything right all the time. And if if we can accept that, then you know life becomes much easier. Um, but it's very hard, obviously, when you emotionally invest in something that oh, okay, cool, I made a mistake. You've got to go through that there. Um question always a question going to the council <laughs> council for the first time as a young person going into those what is that like for you because you're going to this this room here full of academics and older people and you know you have crazy lawyers you have all these high profile people that drive teslas and porsches and all these other crazy yeah. vehicles um, and there you are you come along quinton what is that like for you on day one uh-huh. at that first meeting that, that first meeting, 28th of February, I think it was, um, and I can remember the date because I was terrified for it. Um, and it was quite stressful. You walk in and it's it's a very formal occasion. Everyone's dressed up really tidy and having all these conversations. I'd spent, you know, the couple of days before reading 300 pages of documents for this meeting. And it's all these these financial reports and projections that like nothing I've ever seen before. And so you very much feel out of place. But I guess what I what I learned quite quickly was that you, there weren't stupid questions. And I would if I just asked them and asked them honestly and earnestly from a place of wanting to know more of wanting to make the right decision, it was well received. I am quite grateful that the council are very willing to give me space to ask those questions and they don't just brush you off as a student who doesn't know anything better that they are there and want to do it. But it definitely felt uncomfortable and out of place I still will not dress up in a suit and tie like everyone else who's there and tidy I I love wearing jerseys and I wear a jersey to every single meeting and then try and still be myself so that I can take those values that I want to bring um and and but I do feel more comfortable now because I've 
kind of manage to reflect and ask those ask those stupid questions when I have to and and make it my own space and get a bit more comfortable in the chair but it's definitely an uncomfortable environment um, the first couple of times well I can imagine I love that you have your brand the Quinton Jersey brand <laughs> we'll see that in a, few, in a few years time Quinton Jersey boom here we go yeah um beautiful my own fashion line yeah my own fashion line exactly <laughs> What, what about your family and your whanau? What do they think about you, first of all, um, changing from health side to politics and then now doing what you do? Because obviously they're a big part of your life and big part of your life at stage one when you wanted to be house MD to change to politics <laughs> and now you are president, not MD. What is that like? Um, what they, is that like they're them? great. They've been really great, yeah. really understanding of why why I've gone through those changes and you know, there's no pressure to, to do anything. Um, anything any which way as long as as long as I'm enjoying it and not bankrupting myself in the process I don't think that I don't think it's a problem and so that's been really good I think it's it's always quite funny when I get a text from mum every now and then because she'll she'll text me if she's just seen me on the news or in the paper I remember I did one interview with RNZ once and and dad rang me as soon as I hung up from from talking to Wallace Chapman on RNZ and he went I was literally about to ring you and then you popped up on the radio and then so our whole conversation just ended up being about that conversation where he and it was you know in, in lovingly and in jest but making fun of me for silly things that I'd said on national radio <laughs> so no they've been really great and I think that they you know can see that this is a better fit for me than being a doctor if it would have been Oh, I love that. I love that because um, your family always going to tease you no matter what. Yeah. It, was, it doesn't matter. You can make the most serious thing. They'll find something funny in it. Or they'll, oh, yes. Or they'll make, Things or they'll I didn't even funny. remember that I'd said, but apparently I made, you know, made a fool of myself in, in that yeah. interview. So. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, you spoke about Dunedin issues, and I'm just up to go up just a little bit. You know, we had Ellen Dixon on here once as well, and she spoke about some stuff. As 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 Quentin, as you look at, at the student body in holistically in in New Zealand, what is an so finance is obviously an issue, but is there something else that you think is is really bubbling for young people? The reason I ask this is because over the last ten years that I've been doing this job, I've seen a, a, a very different change to the kind of young people that come to university, but also a huge change across the country with the kinds of um, difficulties, um, not just financial difficulties, but also in terms of um, well-being, holistic well-being. Um, but that's just what I see. But I'd love to know if there's anything that you as a and your contemporaries, when you have your meetings together, go, hey, this is something that is really worrying or really worrying. And also we're going to go with the positive, celebrating. So the two things, we always go worry, worry, worry. Let's think about the celebrate, the, the good stuff as well. Let's start with, well, let's start think, with the bad stuff, then go to good stuff. I think in a way I can address them both at the same time. Because Fantastic. it's just yeah. that students that are coming through are so socially aware and aware, aware of the world around them and aware of their place in the world, which which has its good and its bad because the student culture that we're seeing in Dunedin, I think it's, it's changing, but I think changing for the better because students are aware of the way that they behave and how that impacts other students. And you see this really supportive student community in Dunedin. And I love it. It's one of the best things down here is the way that students look out for other students. But it also means that the issues that students are facing, like climate change, like never being able to own a home, are really big things on people's minds as they as they kind of come through this this really transitory period in your life, going from high school to university to into your first jobs. And it definitely creates a lot of anxiety when you see these, just this really changeable world 
around you of you know of COVID, of Christchurch earthquakes, of financial crises, of all these big things happening in the world and you're trying to navigate that at the same time and just being so aware of that because there's so much media, because everyone talks about everything and those are good things but it makes you aware of those issues which does create this kind of nervousness of the unknown in the future and this questioning your place and what you're going to do and how you need to be prepared and how you're going to get to where you thought you want to be when you want to become house md but you actually realize you hate anatomy and that's and that's, and that's that's really important because i think you know um the world is going through, through through crazy flux at the moment you know both good and bad i mean the world is everything is good and bad yin and yang right mm, but i think exactly. you know um um young people across the world i'm going to go across the world now because i think there's so much information out there about so many things that sometimes it's like it's good and bad sometimes it's so awesome because you know what you can get involved in because your values align with those with those those bigger things but sometimes it's the, it does the opposite it actually paralyzes you because you you think you want something but you're worried that oh no i'm going to be judged because of i'm not aligning with this value set here or this thing here that's supposed to be awesome for one person but i'm not i don't believe or think about that therefore what do i do and you get paralyzed and you know i'm seeing that happening with a lot of young people where they are afraid to make the decision but once they make it they're fine but it's that inside hmm. like i said transition period at university but also that transition period about making the decision and that's that's the real kicker and it's i'm i'm a terrible decision maker for things that impact myself and so i, I can i can understand it so well is choosing to to switch out of health science after i'd convinced myself on it um was an incredibly difficult decision and one that i you know, um, denied about, and I, that's why I left it so late that I couldn't transfer that semester. But once I actually went in, it was the best thing. And same with running for this role, I tossed it up for two months before I went and put my name in for that nomination. And then once I did, and I got the role, it's the best decision I'd ever made. It's it's trusting your gut. I think a lot of the time is as you can see these, you you know, your brain tells you all the things that could go wrong. But if you trust your gut and you know that's the right thing to do, falling back on those values, that's that's kind of it's the way forward. And it's you have to take the gamble. You have to take the risk to be able to get the outcome that you want to do. Awesome. Take a gamble and also take your probiotics because your gut will be much better. Thinking, right? <laughs> exactly take your probiotics a good bit of yogurt <laughs> exactly a good bit of yogurt fantastic quentin we can keep talking for a long time because you're fascinating you've got some amazing stories i'm sure you could share but we've been speaking for 45 about 40 minutes now um before we round up two two questions i guess question number one is as you are as your term comes to an end for this year um what is the proudest thing that you as quentin is really proud of as as you think about the year in reflection I'm correct. Your, your, your term is about to end, right? Is that correct? Well, so months. so term will end end of the year, but the yeah. elections nominations open in less than a month. So if anyone is listening and umming and ahhing about OUSA, please do throw your name in the ring. It's a great decision. Um, I think the proudest thing has just been has been the way that OUSA has been able to become so visible this year. So one of the key things that I campaigned on was improving OUSA's engagement, and I just wanted us to be really visible, really there kind of outside because we'd had this this COVID period that had meant people weren't there. And I think we've done that. We've been on campus a lot more. I've spoken to so many people and it's been it's been really good to just kind of see the student community coming back to campus and us being able to come with them too. I was always worried that OUSA would have have a state where it would kind of become a bit removed from the student body. And I think this year 
you know, COVID had made it really difficult for us to exist and we've managed to pull ourselves back into the student body and set that motion of making sure that we're really tight there with them. And that's that's led to some cool things, being there, engaging with students, being loud, being visible. We got, you know, alongside of big other groups, we got an extra set of money for the tertiary sector from the government, which was a really big push of ours when we were talking about that tertiary funding. And that was one of the proudest achievements of mine is knowing that we played a part in that big picture, getting that there, getting a funding review commit to, because that was something that when I talked to students about it, they cared about it so much. And so we're not just OUSA, but all these students together are talking about that big problem. We actually managed to get something to come of it. That was really cool. And just, just I think OUSA being able to come out of COVID and get get itself back on the track of that advocacy, of that representation, of that well-being and experience has been really exciting to be a part of being able to chart that next direction for OUSA once we're through that, you know, turmoil that was COVID. I just think that I'm really excited to have seen how the association has shaped itself and grown this year. Um, and I couldn't have done that without an amazing team here with me they have been very supportive valuable and just willing to pick up the slack when I drop the ball so I really appreciate them all I love that I mean those are definitely that's I mean that's definitely a very 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 valid thing to be proud of you know um student bodies are amazing um and obviously I have a bias towards particular university um <laughs> but I think you know the fact that you are that you're out there but you're out there being visible makes a huge difference because people don't know what 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 you do and by being mm. out there it actually it actually inspires and also gets people to go hey i actually want to be part of this change um, yeah. because they can see it you know and the fact that you're out there is, is awesome my last question for you is um well my last question for now <laughs> my change is um <laughs> our podcast is called baskets of knowledge mm -hmm. and we invite all our guests to give us one piece of knowledge they'd like us to just like share with our listeners and myself that we can put into a basket as a piece of your knowledge. Anything you'd like to share, Quentin, from any aspect of your of your um, lived experience so far? Oh my goodness, you ask a big a big question there. Um, what sort of what sort of knowledge has been dropped before that that you found really valuable? Just so I can help no. shape my answer. No, Quentin, I'm not going to do that. Thing. <laughs> no, that's, a very, that, that's a very that's a very politician answer. It's got to be something that you. <laughs> I just you... have to make sure that I'm I'm barking up the right tree. You see. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's been so many different people. So just to put you at ease, every single guest comes on here with the same reaction at the end. Like, oh, damn, that's a big question. So we did it on purpose. Okay, on that, purpose. Is good, that is good to know. I think it's a good, it is a good question. I will say that. And I think that, you know, it, it needs to have that organic part. I can understand why you answer the question without without telling me what other people have said. Don't want to influence my answer. Fair point. Um, my, I guess my my piece of knowledge would be if someone's giving you an opportunity, there's a reason they're doing it. If, if someone asks you if you want to do something, if you can do something, they, they know you're capable of it. And they wouldn't be asking you that or offering you that if you're not. And so say yes, even if you doubt yourself to do it. If it excites you, if it interests you, if it even just makes one hair prick up and go, hmm, maybe do it. And then you can you can turn it down or pull out later on, but it's better to give it a go. And that's that's something that I've learned especially through university is if if it comes up to say yes and then think about it later don't don't turn it down before you've tried it i, I love that and i think that can be uh, applied to any part of life you know if you think about if we extrapolate life we're all going to give opportunities as we go through life 
you know, as, as you think about your story, you were in the right place at the right time where somebody asked you, hey, what about this? Um, you, if you had said no, if you had said no to that radio interview, you wouldn't be doing a radio. You'd be in a whole hmm. different adult pathway. If I'd said no to that know. radio interview, I wouldn't be in this job either. You know, it's, it's that yeah. really that butterfly effect. And so exactly. very glad that's, I did. That's crazy. And then, you know, when you go, when you, when you go into the, well, when you get to the big bad world, like you said before, there's eyes watching you all the time. There's eyes everywhere watching you. And somebody from somebody goes, hey, uh, what about this year? Or what about this year? We think it'd be great. Like you said before, there's a reason. And one of the models that I use when I, and I, this is riffing of you, um, Quentin, something that I, that when I speak to young people or when I'm coaching my clients, I always say, it's better to live a life where you go, dare, thanks, but no thanks, than to go, damn, I should have. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can give it a crack, give it an opportunity, give it a go, and go, actually, this doesn't work for me, instead of going, damn, I should have just done it. Exactly. Yeah, beautiful. No, I 100% agree with that. And, you know, I'd rather I'd rather get six hours sleep and have had a busy day because I took on too much than, than be sitting at home bored. So beautiful, beautiful. Exactly. Fantastic. Um, Quentin, with that, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I know you're uh, not, not going to use the word busy. I know you're a very productive young person. Um, <laughs> productive so is an ambitious word, but I like it. I'll take that as I'm a gonna, compliment. I'm going I'm, I'm to go with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you so much for your time and for listeners out there um hopefully you enjoyed listening to this episode um i took away a lot from this episode and uh, hopefully you have if you haven't please go back and re-listen because i'm sure you'll find one piece of knowledge that you can share with yourself or with your community and as, as always please feel free to share like and comment on our podcast um we want this to be available to others out there because we know that even if one person's life changes from this to this that's one person's life that we hope will go a better place. Till next time, Kakite, take care and don't forget to put something in your basket of knowledge. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Baskets of Knowledge. Yeah, we hope that you found something useful to put into your basket of knowledge. And as we said before, remember to put something little into your baskets of knowledge every week. And as always, feel free to like, comment, and share this podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you.